Welcome to Film Matters. My name is Jason Weedle. Today we're talking about God's Not Dead 2 and also a little bit about Christian movies, our impressions of Christian movies, and what they do for us as a Christian community. I'm here with Chris Williams and my wife Della Weedle. You know, as I think about Christian movies, we've probably really had about 20 or 30 years of Christian movies, and there's probably been more within the last 10 years than there has in all of those years put together. But I think we've seen quite a variety. We've seen quite a, um, we've seen changes. We've seen a lot of different kinds of movies come and go. What are you guys kind of just basic impressions of or experiences with with some of those Christian-themed, faith-themed movies? Uh, well, I grew up in a household where Christian culture was kind of the recommended type of entertainment we were supposed to get. So my dad was a – he was the music minister at our church, and so I, I grew up with a healthy diet of only listening to Christian music, DC Talk, Adrenaline, uh, Newsboys, who are going to come into play prominently in this discussion, I think. But um, Christian movies were definitely a part of that, and I can remember – there would always be the Billy Graham movies that would cycle through our church. And they usually, I, I didn't remember much of them, but there was usually some sort of spiritual lesson, really lame humor, and then a really serious kind of call to Christ at the end of it. That even as a kid, I was like, I don't know if this is the way a movie's supposed to work. Um, my parents subscribed to this thing growing up, feature films for the family which would take all your beloved movies and edit all the swearing or sex scenes out of them oh, and yeah. subscribe to the club and they would send it but they would also have their um they would also have their own movies so there was something like you know I grew up with like the Buttercream Gang and McGee and Me and I thought those were really cool because we were so entrenched in Christian culture that it was like well here's here here are movies that look like me you know where the characters look like me and talk about the things I talk about as I got older, I think, and, and, and really started studying film, though, I really began noticing, um, you know, Christian films just mainly weren't good. Uh, the, you know, as I studied film, I really got to notice that, you know, they're usually produced on a minuscule budget. They try to do a little bit more than they can, and they're very preachy, um, you know. So I, you know, something like Fireproof or Facing the Giants, um, those are things that have been very popular in churches and I've not really held to because I feel they just kind of, they're either not well made um, and, and they, you know, kind of just not entertaining or they're very simplistic in their view of faith and they only have, um, you know, they only have the goal of converting almost like they want everyone to line up at the uh, at the screen after the movie and pray. Um, so I, I really, in you know, in recent years, been really kind of outspoken against a lot of them. Um, you know, something like Kirk Cameron's movies, I, I've written a lot about just, you know, they're kind of smug and condescending to, um, you know, something like Fireproof, which I think is well-intentioned. It's just not a very well-made movie, and kind of a bit simplistic in trying to do. And then, uh, you know, there's a few that I think actually offend me with uh, the the tack they take towards Christianity. So they, they definitely have a reputation um, for not being the greatest movies. Did you watch Superbook when you were a kid? I don't think I did watch Superbook. I think uh, that was probably when I was most into McGee and Me. Uh, I remember watching that. I went to a Christian school in elementary school, and it was always the exciting day when we got to gather by the TV and watch Superbook, which, if listeners <laughs> don't know, was – I don't quite remember all of what happened. There was a robot, and they would travel – somehow travel into Bible times and see Bible adventures. You know, as you were Wait, talking – Wait, was that an animated one? It is, yeah. I think I remember something from uh, like from Hanna Barbera almost with uh, these kid archaeologists who would travel back in time to Bible adventures. I wonder if that's kind of the same thing. Maybe this was sort of an anime kind of thing because I remember thinking that there were their mouths don't always match the words coming out of their mouths, <laughs> the things that are being spoken, and I ne I never understood what why that was until later in life. Learning about <laughs> I will translating. Say too, 
I will I will say too. Sometimes something good sneaks through. Um, so I will, I, I will defend to this day Veggie Tales. Like I, I love, I'm a big fan of Veggie Tales. Yeah, yeah. So uh, every once in a while, it feels like they kind of hit that right mark. And, uh, you know, I, I've kind of forced Veggie Tales on my kids <laughs> because uh, I, I enjoy watching them, and they're kind of smart and funny. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's something even like Passion of the Christ, I, I find, is a movie that isn't necessarily a quote-unquote Christian movie in that it was you know, made by a Christian company, but it was obviously marketed to Christians, and I find that movie very powerful, very moving. The, um, in my house, we, yeah, I grew up in a Christian house. We didn't probably watch as many of those explicitly Christian movies, but there was always kind of an excitement around something that was uh, biblically based or Christian. I remember the Prince of Egypt coming out and that seemed oh, yeah. like a big deal. And, uh, you know, again, that's kind of one of those that's not coming from a Christian filmmaker, but it was a Bible story. So it was an exciting thing. And, uh, you know, I think whenever there were some kind of faith-based movie at the library or something, we would try to watch that. And, um, I, I think I remember more positively some of the ones that maybe came out in the 70s or maybe the 80s, things like The Cross and the Switchblade or um, The Miracle Worker wasn't necessarily a Christian film, but there were some of those ones that went around in, um, in church groups that uh, – I don't think they tried to be quite as ambitious then. It seems like as we rolled into the 80s and 90s, we saw a whole lot of end-of-the-world movies. And mm-hmm. uh, when you have to show the end of the world, then the money can't the money that Christian filmmakers have can't quite buy the, uh, the special effects needed to show the end of the world. No, it can only buy a Nicolas Cage. <laughs> yeah, I think it's kind of interesting for me. My experience is so different from you two. I mean, not that I didn't grow up Christian. You know, my father was a deacon in the Baptist church and so forth, but we didn't have the explicitly like, ooh, we only watch Christian movies. I think the only movie I was ever banned from watching was Dirty Dancing, and that was entirely based on the name of the movie, without my parents understanding <laughs> what it was about. <laughs> and the only, I think, Christian movie I particularly remember is the good old Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, and that's only about 1% mm-hmm. based on the Bible from <laughs> my recent viewing of it. <laughs> so I, I think one of the the real objections to, um, to Christian movies, and you mentioned it, Chris, is the preachiness. And, but that is also what draws a lot of Christian audience to those films. But what's wrong with that? I think sometimes it I think it often is a problem, but at the same time, sometimes I see other movies that are not necessarily Christian movies that are also preachy that I kind of like. And so so what's what's the difference or if I like preachy non-Christian movies is that just also being a undiscriminating movie watcher? Oh, that's a, that's a good point. Uh, there are, I mean, a lot of message movies that want to hammer home a theme, and usually I find I'm pretty allergic to those as well. If something really stops at the end to say, this is the point of the movie, I kind of check out in those moments. Um, you know, I, it's just something that I, I kind of bristle against. I've always felt movies work better when they're provoking questions instead of trying to provide answers. Um, But there are, you know, there are movies that I think do have very explicit themes that they state right at the end and it works. Um, I think Shawshank Redemption is one of those, a movie I love that spells out all its themes at the end. And I'm perfectly fine with that because I think it does it well. The problem with, I think Christian movies doing it is I think the fundamental thing is they misunderstand their audience. I think they, they have a, preachiness to them that is basically aiming at non-believers so it's this whole movie that leads up to god is real you need to get saved and really their audience is made up of people who already hear that so all it does is bolster the uh 
know, the pride of the people who are in there. It kind of I've called them attaboys. It like pats them on the back and says, "You're doing great." Right. Instead of letting them change. And you know what? I I think though that that is not necessarily a misunderstanding of the filmmaker. I think the filmmaker get, is getting it right because that's actually what a, a a large percentage of that audience wants to see. And I thought I really thought of that after God's Not Dead that very often as we're walking out of these movies the 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 Christian audience member who loves it usually their comment is something like that was so good and they'll talk about p- people who need to see it. You know, so-and-so really needs to see this, or we really need to show this in our church because people really need to see it. And there's something very strange because we we can feel like it's a good movie and we like it because we feel like other people need to see it. Although those people we think need to see it, it doesn't make any, you know, they're the ones who don't care. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's, there's a strange attraction yeah it's it's uh we feel like this evangel evangelistic part of it is very good although it's not accomplishing it's not really accomplishing anything evangelistic yeah and i i mean when i look at films i find that the films that move me most the films i want to tell everyone about have changed me in some way. Like we we talked a few months back about Last Temptation of Christ, which isn't a movie I'm going to go recommend to everyone at my church, but that movie has stuck with me since our conversation. I've written actually a lot about it since then, and it's it's changed me. It's changed just kind of my approach to looking at the gospel. And even a non-Christian, like, you know, a movie that isn't aimed at a Christian audience changes me in some way. Um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is one I wrestle with and love. So it's weird for me to sit in a movie that is basically not intending to change me, but kind of advertising for me, bring in other people so they can be changed, but you're fine. And I think it misses an opportunity. Um, I, I think there is a place for art made specifically for Christians who aren't going to venture out to other movies there is a place for art that encourages them or exhorts them or even uh you know preaches a little bit at them and says we got to clean up our act a bit and it really feels like a missed opportunity in a lot of ways i think sometimes we the 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 christian world especially the evangelical world has shied away from things that are too challenging i i think mm-hmm. there is something within the culture that within that Christian culture that makes us feel like we shouldn't have too many questions and we need to have this real certainty about our worldview and real certainty about right. the way we understand God and culture. And so those things that might make us question anything make us uncomfortable. And so probably the movies that are most attractive – that end up being the most attractive are ones that kind of just confirm that worldview. And, and like you said, make us that kind of pat us on the back, Mm -hmm. say you're doing a good job, not necessarily say, make us wonder, make us question. Right. Right. Or, you know, we're doing great. And guess what? Now we got to rally together because other people don't think we're doing so great. Yeah. Which is kind of the whole God's not dead argument. Right. Yeah, but it's very, it is a very non-challenging argument because the, I guess you could say the anti-God villains of the movie really seem to have no reason to be that way other than it's just how they are. Like there's no mm-hmm. depth of character that some reason why they should want to oppress Christianity other than malice or spite. You know, I'm not sure. So it's definitely not challenging. I mean, there's people that oppose Christianity that maybe do have some legit reasoning, whether it's personal experience or you know, something in their past, but you don't get any any backstories on these bad guys. They're just there to be challenging. Yeah. Yeah, I think I said in my review, um, the first movie sets up a straw man, the second movie sets up a straw government. Yeah. <laughs> so why don't we dive into God's Not Dead? Um just kind of quick quick synopsis. We we meet at the beginning uh a teacher played by Melissa Joan Hart named Grace Wesley. Very Christian name. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, she gets in trouble for meant for basically just answering a question in class and talking about Jesus briefly. Um, she's challenged by the school board, by the administration at her school, which eventually takes her to court. Um, we see some subplots with some other ministers in town, a little subplot that doesn't seem to go anywhere, but I heard might be leading to a third movie. Eventually, she stands up for what she believes in and wins. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) Nobody loses in these movies except the bad guys. So, um... Yeah, I, I guess, I mean, that that's kind of just, the, there's not a lot going on. And, you know, sometimes movies like this could get criticism for being simple. I don't mind simple. I don't think that's really a always a legitimate um, criticism. And even, even the criticism that, oh, this would never really happen, the court case would never really work out like that. Eh, in some ways, it's a little ridiculous, but we don't go to the movies to see something realistic. Sometimes we go to the movies to see something entertaining and see something maybe that has something to say. Um, Pat Boone is Melissa Joan Hart's father. I kind of liked Pat Boone in the movie. I actually, yeah, I actually liked him. Yeah, I think he gave some life to the movie. (laughs) Even though he was uh, maybe the most preachy character, he kind of, he reminded me of Dick Van Dyke. There was something... Something very self-aware about what he was doing. Like, it was cheesy, but he was steering into that cheese pretty well. And I, I thought he was... I actually thought the movie kind of picked up and brightened up when he was on the screen. Yeah. Ernie Hudson, who I didn't really remember at first, but he's from Ghostbusters. And, uh, he yes, he is. In the movie, I kind of liked him, too. <laughs> and uh might recognize Haley Orantia, I guess would be how you say it, but she's in the Goldbergs on TV right now. Ray Wise, who always seems to play a bad guy, sometimes he even plays the devil, was <laughs> the bad guy lawyer. And uh, we see some little, a few other recognizable faces pop in and out throughout the movie. Including Mike Huckabee. Yeah, Mike Huckabee. <laughs> Fred Thompson, who was this senior pastor in the town, and I realized afterwards that he was also this old wise pastor in this movie, Persecuted, that came out a couple of years ago. Maybe they're in the same universe. <laughs> was this the last movie Fred Thompson would have filmed? Because he passed not too recently, right? Did, did he? I don't know. I think I feel bad if he's listening. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I believe he passed. Like he didn't seem all that old in this movie. Uh, he died in November, November first. Oh, I, I always sorry to bring it down. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> so we'll just move on to the next character. No, so no, just no. Uh, <laughs> any, anything I leave out that's uh, that's pertinent and important as we as we go make our way through it. Uh, there's a lot of characters who return from the first movie, right? Um, the uh, the Chinese student from the first one, um, the pastor who really, I mean, the only thing I remember that he was in, in the first movie for was to give a pep talk and be there when uh, Kevin Sorbo died. Otherwise, he was trying to get to Disneyland the whole movie, I think. <laughs> I think that was legitimately his whole purpose in that movie. Um, and the uh, atheist blogger and, of course, the Newsboys. Right. The newsboys, who I think are the worst actors in both of these movies, <laughs> kind of feel bad for them. <laughs> well, but what I actually find interesting is, like, basically a newsboys concert in in this movie's universe. The first one, the the paper actually takes out a front page story to talk about a newsboys concert, <laughs> which has literally happened nowhere. <laughs> um, and in this one, like, you know. Th- Newsboys concert is like the nexus of the universe for hip young kids, but I was going to Newsboys concerts 20 years ago. I'm pretty sure there's not a bunch of college kids and teenagers there now. It's people my age. Did Did you go when they have the drum set that turned upside down? I did. Yes, yeah, yeah, I, I used to love the Newsboys. I'll, I'll <laughs> stand by old Newsboys. Did you ever? Did you ever go it's to, just now it's a new lineup. Yeah. Did you ever go to acquire the fire? 
I did go to acquire the fire, and it had Newsboys, and I want to say Supertones. Man. Yeah, I I know my Christian culture. Good old days. So, um, well, before we before we get into into the bad, what do we think is the good here? Anything we can point out that we did think was was good about God's Not Dead too. Well, I do think for the role that he had to play, that Ray Wise, the lawyer, he was he was good at doing what he did. He did really pull off the sleazy, evil lawyer vibe. We just learned he was also Commissioner Gordon in the Batman animated series. Yeah, it's a very familiar voice. Which was, wasn't a bad guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he can pull it off well. He's convincing as like the ACLU lawyer who's evil for no reason except... He's in the ACLU, and that's probably part of the hiring process when they interview you. <laughs> you <have to> <laughs> how, much, how much do you hate the Bible? <laughs> I, I thought, do you want to prove that it's dead? I, I kind of like Melissa Joan Hart in this, even though you know, in the at the beginning she was a little overly peppy, and for the rest of the movie she was a little overly concerned. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But she seems like a regular person. She seems like somebody you could have as a teacher. Yeah. Not not a a glamorous movie star, and I thought a lot of the characters seemed like regular people. Were they aware though that she was at one time a teenage witch? <laughs> yeah, uh, she's she's changed her ways since then. Well, I'll go on record as saying I think I saw this the same week I saw Batman vs Superman, and this was a much easier sit than Batman vs <laughs> Superman. <laughs> Um, which I did not expect. I mean, I I hated the first God's Not Dead. I wrote a big long diatribe about how it, I felt it failed Christians and it was anti-Christian and it like it made me mad. It, it, like the first movie just really surprised me how offensive it was to me in its depiction of Christianity and its depiction of the world. And I was kind of surprised to find that while I have big problems with the sequel. There are things I do like about it. Um, I, I I don't think these are badly made movies in the same way some other Christian movies are. They're very the the direction is very competent. It's you know it's well lit. the The script isn't you know a, a jumbled mess. It has issues, but I, I believe that the director has seen a movie before. Like it, it feels like a movie, and the performances are good. I, Della, you brought up Ray Wise. I think he's having a great time in this. I think he's he's aware of how one note his character is, and he just dives right into that. And I, he's a lot of fun to watch. Um, and I really like Melissa Joan Hart in the first, you know, half hour or so. I think she's very joyful, which you don't see in depictions of Christians all the time. Is this? inner joy that they're supposed to have. Um, and it is kind of a shame that she has to spend the rest of the movie being very dour. Um, but I think by and large, the performances are fine. And I, I think it's an improvement over the first movie in that there's actually a non-Christian character who is not an evil person. Uh, he gets to be Melissa Joan Hart's lawyer. Um, I, at the end of the movie, it is of course hinted that he's going to become a Christian, but um I, I thought that was, you know, a more gentle portrayal this time. It wasn't frothing at the mouth angry this time. Um, and I actually, for the first half hour, had some hope for it because I actually thought the fir- the stories it brought up were interesting to deal with if they would have kept with the thread. So, like, the atheist blogger who has cancer in the first movie and she's healed she's not automatically you know now gung-ho jesus she's questioning what she believes and what this healing meant and there's the chinese student who he's trying to figure out what he's supposed to do with his faith um i like the relationship that starts off between melissa joan hart and the student Uh, you know there's there's a lot of stuff they could have done with this that would have been maybe not as dramatic but would have been interesting from a character perspective to show the Christian struggle in the world. So it was really kind of a bummer when a half hour in, they bring in this persecution subplot, and it just kind of steamrolls the whole thing, and all those interesting threads are lost. And I'll admit, too, David A.R. White is the pastor. There's some sort of sh- – he's in – if you go to Pure Flicks, um, he's in almost every movie oh, yeah. on Pure Flicks. I don't know where he came from, but um, – I actually, he has, he's kind of charming and funny. He has like a schlubby charm that I like. 
So yeah, there's good there's good stuff in here. I just so, feel it kind of gets steamrolled. Yeah, do, and and do you think that overall the the tone of this is better because the contention is the contention that's set up is not quite as aggressive or harsh. There's, it's, I mean, it still sets up this contentious narrative between Christianity and basically everybody else, but it's not maybe quite as angry, not quite as explicit. Yeah, it's definitely a gentler tone, and I think part of that is because the balance is a little bit better. In this, it's basically a handful of angry people who are more concerned, less concerned with, you know, destroying God and more concerned with legalities. And we can get into whether those are absurd or anything, but um, there's a better balance. It's not one Christian against ten angry atheists. It's a bunch of Christians and then some angry atheists. <laughs> and only one of them is portrayed as really irrationally angry. Uh, and that's Ray Wise. And I think he's he's having enough fun that he's watchable. So, it, yeah, it doesn't feel like as angry of a movie, even as I, I think to kind of rally the troops and be combative in its own way. It's interesting, though, that this... I don't think has been as successful as the first movie. And, you know, that's no. that's what happens with sequels. But uh, sometimes when you kind of give people an angry purpose to rally around, it makes people more excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, was, I, I saw a conversation on Twitter, um, which was also kind of mentioning that when first God's Not Dead came out, it was going pretty much head-to-head with uh, Darren Aronofsky's Noah movie. And right. there might have been some there might have been some rallying there in that people were very angry about Noah, which is actually a movie I, I kind of like, um, and wanted to go see something that was, you know, quote-unquote, more pure to their faith, truer to their faith. Um, and there really wasn't anything to push against here. I mean, this is the year where there have been so many Jesus movies and Christian movies uh, out already this year that it, it might have just felt like, well, here's another one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think it is still pushing this kind of persecution narrative, this really dualistic view of the world that there are good guys and bad guys and we have to sort of divide everybody up, decide which side we're mm-hmm. on. Um, and that's what bothers what bothers me the most. You know, I think a lot of people that become fans of both of both the God's Not Dead movies don't necessarily see it that way. They just see the the message that talks about Jesus and standing up for your faith. But it seems to me that the real problem is when we divide up the world in a way that is not true. Um, right. And that's, I know that, that talking about if a movie presents a true understanding of reality is a little bit problematic because I don't know if any movie presents a true image of mora- of the world and of morality and, um, and who's who's to decide which one is true and which one is not? But what's presented here, I think, is really a distortion that only confirms the worldview of a certain group of people. Um, I, and I think the thing that really demonstrates that is looking at who are the good guys and who are the bad guys and how are they set up? Do they have any characterization or do we just see this good guy and bad guy thing? And I made a list. (laughs) My good guy list is the Christians, the newsboys, the Salvation Army, Duck Dynasty, Mike Huckabee, and soldiers. They're the good guys. And the bad guys are lawyers, rich people, atheists, foreigners, the ACLU, unions, liberals, psychics, educators, politicians, and the media. And uh, 
everybody might not recognize all those in the movie right away, but you know, I, I think kind of going through the movie and we can almost see every, we can almost put every char- character into the good guy or bad guy slot, and that really bothers me. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, there there's nothing resembling nuance in this movie, and the film hinges its argument not on not so much if, if you watch the jury in that movie and what they hinge everything on the, the movie hinges its final argument not on whether the lawyer's case is compelling and i honestly even uh, we can get into the trial cuz i have no idea what's going on with half the trial <laughs> but but it hinges it not on argument but on how many people in that jury are actually christians and right. there's the the thing that really made me mad is they they kept cutting throughout the whole movie to this girl who has, I think, like blue hair hey, and yep. tattoos. And you're supposed to assume, oh, this is a non-Christian. Oh, this is going to be bad. She doesn't look like a Christian. And at the end, she's walking out of the courtroom, and you see she has a cross tattooed on her back of her neck. And, and then, I thought, okay, but it depended on everyone being a Christian. Right. So the like, assumption, Christians are going to be the only one who let her off. Right. And the assumption of seeing that cross is, oh, you're on my side. Yeah. Not – Oh, yeah. you're a good thinking person. <laughs> yeah, so if the whole point of, you know, who wins or loses the trial is how many Christians are on the jury, then what was even the point of all the hour worth of arguments? Like, they could have just decided mm-hmm. right away. Right, and just the the jury selection thing. I mean, it was supposed to be a little bit of humor there, but I thought it was so ridiculous because it was it was almost the most explicit thing that said, these are who we think are good guys and bad guys. Like one of the first one was the psychic. Oh, she's not going to be on our side because she's a psychic. Oh, we have this military hero. He's going to be a good guy because he's a military hero. Um, and, and just this division of who we think is going to be on our side and who is not. I thought it was just ridiculous. Yeah, it really goes back to a huge problem I had with the first movie, which was – same thing, it wasn't even so much that there were – you couldn't even divide it into Christian and non-Christian. It was a very specific type of Christianity. Yep. Yep. So it wasn't just that – like they never told you straight out that this blogger was an atheist. The way they introduce her is showing that she's a vegetarian and a liberal, um, whereas the good guys are Duck Dynasty. And yep. like you said in here, you have Mike Huckabee, the Marine, and it's – I, it sets up this thing where it's not even just Christians against the world. It's Christian against Christian when you get into it. And I think that bleeds out because I can't tell you how many angry emails I got about writing about God's Not Dead and not liking it. <laughs> I, I mean, I have a post on Patheos that is about 200 comments long right now. People just tell me I don't get it and I'm just being unfair to Christians because it sets up that Christian is a very specific thing, which I think goes against so much speaking in the Bible about the diversity of the body of Christ. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's something that comes into play with a lot of these movies is they're preaching towards a very specific set of not just Christian, but evangelicalism and right wing of evangelicalism, to be more specific. It was, it was kind of white, middle class, evangelical American it is very it was very limited and didn't at all show the diversity that's in christianity no not at all what about um the movie talked a, a bunch of times about martin luther king junior and the civil rights movement and i thought that got to be a little problematic um and on the edge of offensive because I felt like it was equating the civil rights movement and what went on then with this fight for whatever this fight was for, (laughs) to prove the existence of Jesus or to be able to speak about Jesus in school or whatever this stand up for God. Um, and I, I thought there was a real fundamental disconnect in what the civil rights movement was about and a real insensitivity when we try to connect something that was, well, th- that, that was um, something that 
consumed people's lives and was all about their humanity and dignity, a whole segment of the American population. And then we equate that with something that, I don't know, in this movie seemed to me to be very small. Yeah, I, I didn't put that connection together. I actually, all the times they talked about nonviolent protest and and things, I honestly saw that as a reaction to, oh, no, we're not as angry this time. See, we're seeing be, saying be nonviolent in your protest. <laughs> I thought that was but, it. Um, yeah, and there was a lot of that. And actually, I might have appreciated that. Um, at least they were, you know, not being as angry. But, yeah, I mean, I don't even understand like, – there's this idea that she's been horribly persecuted and that he, her rights are being trampled on. Um, but I don't know. <laughs> the movie doesn't even make it clear what right that was because it all hinges on her mentioning Jesus and an answer. And that a question, a student had asked and it wasn't a religious statement. It would, it, it's so hazy that I'm like, well, I don't know what rights being trampled on because yeah, it's also weird. I, that I don't know. Right. Yeah, the lawyer was promising the parents would somehow make lots and lots of money off of this, which I don't really understand where this money was going to come from. If they're suing the teacher, like, I mean, she doesn't have lots of money. I'm not sure what, like, like how that was supposed to come into play either. And who gets a mm-hmm. jury trial for yeah. something like this? <laughs> Because well, and then she has, like, the worst union rep in the world who's just like, oh, my gosh, what'd you do? I'm out of here. Oh, that, that's because unions are liberals. Yeah, unions are bad. That's right. <laughs> they, don't, they don't help you out any. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, but, you, yeah, you, you made it bring up a good point by equating it to the, uh, you know, bringing up their civil rights. You know, that, that was humanity and basic, the right to live like a human in, in, in your own country. And this is about you can't proselytize. Like if you look at the list of all the uh, court cases at the end of the movie in the credits, the majority of them are basically cases where someone was handing out an invitation to a church event. Like that's how small stakes some of these cases are, is handing out an invitation to a church event at school. And they're blowing it up to be like, well, this is horrible persecution, which – you know, aligning themselves to the civil rights movement is offensive, and it's also offensive to people across the world who are facing life-threatening persecution. Exactly. Yeah, I think that that's maybe what got to me the most about the movie. We kind of had the subplot about the Asian student and how he eventually decides he's going to return to his home country, which I don't think has ever mentioned the exact country, but I'm assuming it's probably China, and kind of like equating real persecution that's happening in China with the whatever was happening with this teacher that's not persecution at all. It's sort of making it like it's on the same level, like trying to pretend like America, you know, United States has the same level of persecution that's happening in these other countries. Yeah. We probably should say something about those, that, that list at the end, because I, I think that all that list in the credits is rather affecting because you can almost you can get through this movie and almost think oh that never happens and then you see all these and it scrolls by so quickly you can't really read it all but there are probably what 30 of these cases that scroll by in the credits that it briefly tells about something that happened in a specific school or community are they legitimate persecution are we seeing instances where i don't i mean well I'm not sure how most courts work, but I think pretty much anybody can sue anybody for anything. So just because something went to court, there might be just as many cases that are the other way around where Christians have sued someone for not, you know, adhering to their Christian ideals. I I think also that um, sometimes we see these things happen and we think it's an, an extraordinary situation and it just shows the decline of America. But I think since these cases are such a big deal, it shows that it is something unusual. And it's not something that is regularly happening all the time. And since it is unusual, you know, it's it's a problem for those people who are involved in that, but it's still rare. Yeah, I'm not going to say it never happens, that there's never someone who overreacts to a Christian 
you know, mentioning Christ in the classroom or a student inviting someone or doing something. I'm sure overreaction happens all the time. I'm sure there are, there is, there are isolated instances where we need to be paying attention and saying, hey, someone's rights are in trouble. But I think the vast majority of it is Christians are being told, you know, you've got to respect other people's faith and we can't infringe upon their, you know, their beliefs and you can't be, you know, on a, on school property, you know, preaching or, you know, the school's not going to endorse one belief or allow you to turn this into a church service because it's disrespectful to other people's religions. And you have the same problem if a, you know, a Muslim student was doing it, then your kids were there. And I think there's this idea that, we're being asked to, you know, respect others' faith, get along, and you know, not be preaching every minute, which is a reasonable thing. But we kind of take it as, oh no, you're you're stomping down my faith when it's just, no, we just got to play nice. Right. One of the um, kind of side plots in the movie was the that all of the pastors in this town are being asked to submit. Uh, text of their sermons, which was based on something that happened in Houston, and uh, mm-hmm. that was actually a a, a a difficult situation where I didn't come, I didn't really know how to respond. It seemed to me that that was inappropriate for the government to be asking that, but there were a lot of people screaming persecution. There. Um, taking away religious liberties, and I don't know that it really was that either. Um, it seemed to me that if uh, the disciples in the first century were asked to go uh, preach their sermons or give their sermons into Roman authorities, they would be glad to do that and celebrating the opportunity to share Jesus. But um, I don't know. Well, and that gets into the other problem with the film, which is any any mention of Christianity is good. Any opposition to it is bad. This case in Houston was kind of a weird case where I, I feel the same way as you. I I don't really didn't know what to think about it. Like I don't think people should be subpoenaing subpoenaing people's sermons, but what was the issue behind that? And then in you know. Shortly afterwards, the government said, "No, no, we're we're not doing that anymore." You know, we we probably overstepped on that. In here, they just say the government wants your sermon. You know, the mayor's office or governor's office or someone wants your sermons, but they don't say why. You know, it's just there's troubling stuff in there. So yeah. there, it doesn't allow for nuance to really begin to argue that. I mean, they could be. You know, they could be rallying for a political cause behind the pulpit, for all we know, and, you know, or preaching something that is really offensive. But the movie just sets up this argument that, you know, government bad, Christians good, and they, you know, government hates Christians. Yeah. I just heard an interview with Richard Rohr, who is a Catholic priest who has written a lot and got a lot of attention in recent years. Um but he he was talking about just kind of angry Christianity and how you can't move forward. And there's so much angry Christianity, and you can't mm-hmm. move forward as a, a person who develops a relationship with God when we are angry Christians. And there's it's, it just seems to be so much that promotes angry Christianity and encourage us encourages us to be angry Christians. Um, I think sometimes, personally, I think it's sometimes it's political because it's easier to rally people to a political cause when they're angry, but it's also easy easier to rally people to your religious cause and your religious purpose when they're angry. It's easier to get them to go to your movie or buy your books or whatever it is. Yeah, it's the same, like, you know, not every cause needs God, but every cause needs a devil. Oh, absolutely. You know, it, yeah, it's easier to to galvanize people and say, you know, let's 
unite because people are against us yep. instead of let's unite because people need the gospel. Yep. <laughs> you know, and and they need encouragement and hope and yeah, I mean it's it does set up that and, well and and it the way it does it too in this is this movie it's the atheists who are angry. Like if you watch at the end, you've got the uh you know the Christians sitting on the Capitol steps quietly protesting and the atheists are like this unruly mob <laughs> that are screaming at them and it's just that first off i can't believe a case like that would cause that much fervor especially when you think people would be sitting around going why are we mad because i don't know why we're doing this but um yeah i mean it it sets up us versus them and that's that's never been christianity <laughs> like it, i look at these movies and i don't i i see a cultural Christianity, like that. That's what I see is something that uses the call, of, you know, the the name of Christ to unite under a cultural banner. But I don't see that as Christianity because this movie fails, you know, the basic command, which is treat others as you would want to be treated. Because Christians would be in an uproar if there was a movie that portrayed them the way atheists are portrayed in this movie. And love your enemy, um, yeah. Not just defeat your enemy. And also, like, I guess kind of strange in the universe in which this movie occurs that is so the whole culture is against Christianity, but yet Christianity is so important that this one little court trial has got, like, national news coverage. Like, there's nothing more important happening in that world. There's no mm-hmm. terrorism. There's no other, you know, political intrigue. Like, this is the biggest, most important thing. It's, it's going to happen to this one Christian teacher. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it stops a newsboy's cold. <laughs> so they... Man, sometimes I feel like people in the Christian music world have a healthier view of uh, life, but it seemed to me that that, that Newsboys song at the end was just pandering. It just... <laughs> yeah, I did think the song was ridiculous with the lyrics about something, even if I'm convicted, like, in, who who are the Newsboys singing to here? Because I'm pretty sure, like, middle-class white American Christians aren't being locked up on a regular basis for... You know, being Christians. Yeah, they need to go back about to singing about breakfast in hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot that song. Walk out to that back in the day. Absolutely, yeah, me too. <laughs> well, and I think too, like this is also a movie that just thinks every problem we have will be solved if only people know what we believe. So maybe there yeah. is a legitimate reason she's on trial but then the trial doesn't even address that it turns into a trial about the existence of god you know because if they prove god then she didn't break any rules which maybe she did break a rule but you know they got to be preachy so they bring out lee strobel and another author to basically plug their books on the stand and uh that that was to me the part where i was just cringing just Watching Lee Strobel hawk his books from the, from the stand. <laughs> what are those books? They what are those books they're actually selling on the God's Not Dead site? The one they kept showing. I hadn't heard of it. Man, Myth, Messiah, something like that. Oh, was that the cold case guy? Yeah, I think the one the lawyer was reading yeah. at the end of the movie. I thought okay, it was yes, a different yes. person who I think who there didn't were three authors. Hear. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, I think you're one. right. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, I think those guys are interesting. I think it. I think it is important for Christians to understand all those things that Lee Strobel talks about, sure. to understand the existence of Jesus. Because if you don't, you hear things, and it can really rock your faith. But it's really problematic when we think that those things are evangelistic. And yeah, if people just if people just know facts, that's going to make them into Christians. Yeah, I think it was Philip Yancey said, um, "No one ever converted to Christianity because they lost the argument." <laughs> you know, I, and I, I like Lee Strobel. I've read his books. I, I I've enjoyed them and been blessed by them. But yeah, I think when you prop up the movie, it's just bad art for the first part. It's it's preachy. It stops the movie. But then, yeah, I mean. I don't know what they expect people to do, like just sit in the theater and go, okay, well, I guess now I believe that I'm changed. Christianity is so relationship driven that right. to leave a movie up to leave that up to a movie is just 
Yeah, it, it's silly. And I would have much rather seen them do a documentary of the case for Christ than Trotley Strobel out for five minutes. And what would happen if we were to display that some Christians believe all of these things and the the absolute literalness of the Bible and in a a, a young earth and some people some Christians do not and some Christians believe in a certain reason for Jesus death and some Christians do not but yet there is a unity within the Christian faith what if we had what if we had art that sh- displayed that I think that would be so different from just these I don't know these these things that just display Christian Christianity as kind of a monolith um, and that almost that all Christians believe the same thing. If you want to be a Christian, here's the things to believe. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't even know what that would look like. It, it's something that we just haven't. Is I think the Christians who would make that movie are are making movies about faith, but through a different means. Yeah. You know, they're not making quote unquote Christian movies, but they're making movies that deal with faith that are more mainstream, but they deal with those themes. Right. Um where I think there is the culture that unites around the fact that they believe certain things and you know, they hold to those truths. Um, you know, because to stray from them doesn't mean they're a different kind of Christian. It means they're not Christian at all. I, I really worry that it causes more division within the church, not just out in the world, but in the church for that that young Christian who was probably the target audience for God's Not Dead, who now feels that they're not even a Christian and they're they're looked on with scorn in their church because you know what they they believe in evolution or they vote Democrat. Yeah. So so what do what do we say to the person who loved this movie? Um, who comes out of the theater saying that was so good, everybody should see this. Because you did mention people don't like you because you didn't like the first God's <laughs> Not Dead. Um, you know, when we when we kind of attack something that it's it's not just they think we're heretics for not liking this movie and they don't agree with our opinion, it's because you attack something that's important to a person. And people feel like you're attacking their identity. So, mm-hmm. what do what do we say? I've I've found the best thing I can do, or, or the the most helpful thing is first off, I and this is with any movie. If I don't like a movie, and someone loves it, you know what? They loved that movie, and that movie meant something to them. They, you know. They might love Batman v Superman, <laughs> you know, and, and they have reasons why. And if they enjoyed it, good for them. And you know what? Maybe, maybe there is someone who got something from God's Not Dead or God's Not Dead Two. Um, I, I, I'm not going to put that beyond God that God could use this to inspire someone, or you know, maybe they're struggling with being open about their faith, and it, you know, it, it bolstered their confidence in some way. Um, so so I don't want to take that away and say your experience was invalid with this movie, but I've learned to try and un, you know ask questions like, what did you like about it? And what would you say if Christians were portrayed the way non-Christians were? Um, we live in a culture where if people have a view on a movie, it's on Facebook and it's in the comments section and it's on Twitter and there's no real dialogue about it. Yep. Um, you know, but I, I, with any other, any movie, I would sit and go, well, what did you like? And why did you like that? And in this case, well, what does that say about your faith? Because this is what I believe about the Bible. And I think there's an opportunity to discuss that, but there are some people who are just so entrenched that, you know, it was good and it was saying something about our culture because our culture is so screwed up and they're not going to be swayed because, they're, they're so entrenched. The people who are willing to talk about it and dialogue a little bit about it, I, I found that they're a little more receptive to some of the, the issues I have with it because I don't I, – I think 
there's such an emotional response to seeing what you believe and people who look like you put up on the screen that your automatic reaction is to be protective of it. Sure. It's to say, these people look like me. This is what I believe. This is the most important thing in my life, and this movie is talking about it. And so we run out going, this is the greatest thing ever, but maybe once we can get past that emotional response and say, well, spiritually, what what do you believe about this, and how does this mesh with what the Bible says? I think there's some dialogue there, but people have to be willing to talk about it. Yeah, and then just, begin to ask the questions. I Yeah. I uh, last podcast was um, interview with Gareth Higgins, who talked about film, and one of the really interesting things that he talked about was talking with someone who you don't necessarily agree about a movie, and uh, you know he was kind of talking in in the context of a movie that you just think is a good movie or a bad movie, but he said his approach that he tries to have is to kind of listen to it when if there's a person who says oh i thought that was wonderful and he thought it was awful to listen and to first say well why did you think it was wonderful and to appreciate and let the person have that and don't mm-hmm. take it away because that's what we do when we say oh no that was stupid you are simple for liking that you're stealing something away from them but to you know, to be able to let them have that and appreciate that. And then when they say, what did you think? Say, well, that's not really important right now. Maybe we can talk about that again another time. And I think that's really interesting. He actually related that too to um, Brian McLaren talks about that, that when, when somebody talks says something that uh, you don't really agree with, not to just aggressively say no you're wrong but to say that's not the way i see it and when they say well what do you think to kind of say well we can talk about it another time (laughs) and that diffuses it and it makes it not confrontational um that's that's really good actually yeah because as you're saying that i'm realizing that their reason for liking the movie a lot of times something like god's not dead is I'm seeing people who look like me, and it's what I believe. And my dislike of it is based on the fact that, oh, I believe in something, and that is not what I believe. Yeah. And we're coming from it from a very emotional place at that point. Right. And, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I like that. So any other important things in the movie that we should we should mention before we go? I, I like to see Ernie Hudson getting work. <laughs> he is he uh he's a fellow Detroiter. He went to my alma mater, so uh, I like seeing him get work. Um I spent about a half hour in the fall talking interviewing him about Ghostbusters for a event he was doing. So oh, yeah. very happy to see him get work. But um yeah, I I mean the thing with this movie is I think if we were talking the first God's Not Dead, I would have three hours worth of a tirade. You know, actually And this I... one just I realized who he was listening to your last podcast when you were oh, talking really? about Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you for listening. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I think – I honestly think if this was uh, the first God's Not Dead, I'd have hours of tirades. And I was talking with someone online, and they said they were actually disappointed that the movie wasn't worse than it is. <laughs> and that that might say something to what I, pe- you know some people go in there wanting to do, which you know they hate watching as a thing. But I think I I wasn't disappointed, but I was surprised it wasn't worse than it is. I, it, it more is kind of a meh feeling instead of a angry feeling for me on this one. So I, I feel we covered a lot of it. So uh, before we go, I would love to hear anybody's recommendations of. What are what are good movies that kind of bolster our faith? What's your your recommendation? It, I don't think we recommend God's Not Dead too, and we've pointed out a lot of the problems. But are there Christian movies that we've seen, or even just a movie that says something to you about what's important in our understanding of God, relationship with the world, whatever it is? What I thought of, 
I'll mention one of mine first. Um, Blood Diamond, which is not a Christian movie. Um, I think it is a little bit of a message movie, and it really affected me, I guess, because when it came out, um, I was learning to understand kind of the way my actions affect so much of the rest of the world. And so um, I I think that movie reveals a lot about the way my neighbor might be the person on the other side of the earth and the things that I do affect them. Hmm. I haven't seen that one in years, so I'll have to give that a, give that another look. I think that a movie that I've always found personally challenging, it's not a Christian movie per se, is Schindler's List. It's a super well-made movie, but just the, the theme of it and kind of even what it means to be human. Like you have Oscar Schindler and he's, you know, he doesn't start off with any intention to be a hero. He's just a businessman who wants to make money, but he's confronted with this, you know, outstanding evil. And how does he react to that? And how would I react to that if I were in that position? So that's always been, it's, it's a hard movie to watch. And I'll admit that I cried when I watched it the first time and I'm not a crying sort of person, but it is very challenging to me. And the book is good. Yeah, that was, (laughs) That was one of the one and dones with me. I watched it and it's fantastic, and I don't know that I could sit through it again. <laughs> like, it was such an emotional experience. Um, I, I think the one I would go with is actually a uh, a quote unquote Christian movie. I think the director would hate it if if we call if he heard me calling it a Christian movie, but I think it fits the bill. It's uh, Steve Taylor's adaptation of Blue Like Jazz. Um, Donald Miller's book, uh, it came out a year before God's Not Dead. It probably made, I think it made like maybe 10% of what God's Not Dead made. Um, but it, it, it really syncs up with, it does well what I think God's Not Dead does poorly. Uh, and that's the story of this guy who comes from evangelistic subculture. It comes from Southern Baptist Church in Texas. And when he finds out his mom is, you know, having an affair with the youth pastor, he hightails it to, you know, Reed College in Portland and begins to meet people who don't have the faith experience he had. You know, they're, you know, they're atheists, there are, you know, gay people there, there are liberals there. And instead of being about how they're all changed by meeting Don, it's about how his views are expanded but he also comes he also goes deeper in his own beliefs and it it's a much more affectionate gentle movie than god's not dead is it loves every character and you know it, it ends on a very moving scene that isn't a, you know a conversion scene but it's very much a let's just talk about jesus and what we believe and what we don't believe and have that be a starting place for something and it's it's not the best made movie. I think kind of the acting's a little stilted sometimes, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was funny, and it's a little edgier than you'd expect from a quote unquote Christian movie. But I, it it really does what I've wanted to see these movies do, which is just show Christians loving people and how that how love bleeds out and yeah. in affects people and uh yeah it came out a year before god's not dead it was utterly ignored which i was surprised because blue like jazz is a very popular book but um i i recommend it They're really good that's interesting i uh i had kind of a hard time getting a hold of that movie and just what what it was all about i loved blue like jazz the book but maybe i'll have to go watch the movie again it definitely is a loose adaptation of the book. And oh yeah, the book is I, I one I read. You can completely say it's the same, same thing. No, no, <laughs> no. Um, and, and I reread that book every few years. And you know, the movie's not great, but I think it's a uh, it's a stepping stone. It's for people who have grown up with Christian movies and might want to start venturing out a little bit or being challenged. I think it's a good place to start. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Again, if, if folks want to hear or see your stuff, where can they find you, Chris? 
Uh, you can find me on Pathos at uh, the Criticisms blog. And again, easiest way to do that is to just go to Pathos and search by topic, pull up entertainment. I'm right there. Um, yeah. And you can also find my uh, podcast. I, I do two, actually. Farfromhollywood.podbean.com. That's a Detroit film critics podcast I do. And I do a pop culture one with some friends called It's My Favorite, which you can find at itsmyfavorite.podbean.com. And they're both on iTunes. Fantastic. Anything to add, Della? This was fun. I'm glad you <laughs> it was a good me along for the ride. <laughs> uh, please check out the other podcasts on mediascorchpodcasts.com. Please, uh, check out the other um, Film Matters ones where we talk about movies. The Where Are We Going podcast with interviews with different Christian thinkers and ideas. Our next Film Matters will be looking at the film The Purge. Listen in next time. Thanks. Thanks.